This time I'd like to release the children to their lessons and friends. Uh, my name is Rob, and I am the senior high pastor here, so uh, thanks, Brad. So it's a great joy that I get to bring a word to you all this morning. Um, also is going to help me because obviously Thanksgiving is coming up, and inevitably in my household, I get about a spoonful into sweet potatoes without pecans and marshmallows because it's the only way to do it. When my wife says, what are we all thankful for, right? You all know the conversation, and I'm thinking right now, these sweet potatoes, and I have no mouth to say anything else. So with this message that I'm sharing with you today about gratefulness, I'll have a nice podcast pulled up that I can just hit play and let that do the talking for me. So uh, this message has been honestly one of the most difficult messages for me to uh, prepare uh, it's been far less study and far more preparation of my heart through prayer and going to the dark places that I didn't want to return to. Uh, in fact, there's a part of my story uh, that I'll share with you this morning that my wife said last night when she heard it, I didn't even know because at that point uh, she was still uh, not in the picture uh, and reminiscent of anything that was happening. Uh, but before we get there to, to my story, I'd like for you to open your word uh, or it will be on the screen and follow with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, one thing I want to point out is that you'll notice in the very beginning of the text, it says we've been born again to a living hope. And I will be sharing a portion of my family's journey this morning. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that you will be seeing our living hope throughout that story. And if it were not for our living hope, Jesus, in our life, in your life, as I'm sure many of you come here this morning with trials that you've been grieved by, we would be crushed. Which brings me to the second point. If necessary, we may be grieved by various trials. See, there's a rumor out there that sometimes when you become a Christian, everything gets easy. See, you guys know better. See, if you're stubborn, like a mule like me, a little rough around the edges, you know that if necessary is in there for you. So my family, uh, this is about four or five years ago now, um, and this is my wife, Susanna, our two older children, Gabrielle, who's about to turn 10, and Matthew, who's about to turn, or just turned seven. This was our family before our third child, Hunter, was born. 
You can tell that we're happy. We're actually uh, home for a visit. We have been living in Louisville, Kentucky, so we're actually home for a visit right down there on the beach in, in Fontana. A friend of ours took these photos for us. And the naming of our children has always been of high importance for us. It's something we, we spend a lot of time praying about. So uh, Gabrielle, her name means God is my strength. And Matthew's name means gift of God. And then when the third one came along, I had named the first two. And my wife said, don't pray. I get to name this one. I said, fine. So she prays, and she, she comes up with this name, Hunter. And we thought, well, this is very fitting. You know, she, my wife is from Texas originally, so Hunter's a good, <clears throat> strong southern name. And uh, the name, as it might imply, that you might uh, think naturally, if you, if you are a hunter, means pursuer. All right? So each of our kids' names is, is very fitting, because when Gabrielle was born, we were going through a difficult season, and we were reminded that God is our strength. Uh, when Matthew was born, we had just come from a miscarriage, and we were reminded that God gives good gifts. We didn't know when Hunter was born how much his name would remind us our desperate pursuit of God to get us through. So my wife, when she was pregnant with Hunter, had a very normal pregnancy. There was nothing out of the, the blue. I was used to her cravings and things that she does when she's pregnant. She was used to how a baby feels, what's normal, what's not normal, which is what clued her in one morning when I'm at the office. And she calls me and she says, Rob, uh, something's not right. I haven't felt Hunter move the way he should be moving. We need to go to the doctor. So we get to the doctor and we uh, have them check everything out and they do an ultrasound and they, they say, listen, everything's good. There's a heartbeat. He's not moving, but there could be, you know, various reasons for that. He's good. Just go home, relax. It's fine. But our OBGYN, Dr. Brown, had the wisdom to say, I, I know everything tests out right, but can you come back in the morning? I want to verify that you and the baby are safe. So we say, sure, we can do that. The next morning, uh, we get to the hospital, and it's a normal morning for us. Um, at the time, my wife and I were serving with Youth with a Mission, and so we raised financial support uh, as our income. And that morning, I'm sitting down, I'm working on things probably for short-term outreaches in the summer, and my wife actually is, is drinking a Coke, and she is writing thank you notes to our supporters for the gifts that they've made. Completely normal morning, nothing out of the blue. They're monitoring the, the baby. They're monitoring Susanna. Still, everything is normal. And in a blink of an eye, the nurse has a change in her demeanor. And immediately, a medical team lays my wife's bed flat as they begin to rush her down the hall to an operating room. And all I hear is, we have to do an emergency C-section now if we're going to save the baby. His heart rate is dropping rapidly. So as they're wheeling my wife down the hall, I'm following close on her, her heels. I have no idea what to do, what to think. I don't even think I am thinking at this point. But as I get into the, the room right outside of the operating room, there's a window just tall enough that most people probably couldn't see through, but I was able to see the graphic and violent nature of the C-section. And I began thinking, what is going on? Normally, there's so much more care, so much more prep put into this. The medical team begins to grow. There, there goes from a handful of people in there to quickly a dozen and then more than a dozen. As I hear doctors and nurses and different specialists come in, I hear them say, what's going on? Why am I here? I was just paged. Now, to this day, they still don't know what happened. Uh, 
in a nutshell, Hunter had some sort of traumatic event that caused him to uh, bleed into his mother, which was a very dangerous situation for both him and Susanna. At one point, a medical professional comes out and they let me know, uh, we're still working on your wife and your son, but we need you to know uh, it's precarious for both of them right now. A few more minutes pass, and another medical professional that day comes out, and they say, Mr. Bryant, we need you to know that your wife has suffered massive bleeding, and we're still trying to figure out how to stop it. Your son was born, but he was born dead. We were able to revive him, but it took 10 minutes. So his brain damage is going to be significant, and we don't expect him to make it past the next few minutes. But as soon as we can get him cleaned up, we want to bring him out to you so you can see your son. And again, we're still working on your wife. A couple minutes later, they bring my son out. Uh, this thing's not working. You want to bring up the next photo? There we go. So they bring my son out, and this is what he looks like lying in a small uh, plastic bed uh, as they had begun to hook him up to several different machines to monitor him. Uh, one of the things that they immediately do in the beginning is to, to cool the body down. It's very similar if you, if you hit an elbow or, or sprain an ankle, you put ice on it to keep the swelling down. Well, because of the brain... Uh, damage due to lack of oxygen, they begin to cool his body to try to keep any more swelling from happening. Now, at this moment, as a father, I have no idea what to do, what to say. Uh, by nature, I'm pretty private. I'm not somebody that shows a whole lot of emotion publicly, and there is a team of people standing around waiting for me to interact with my son before they have to rush him to the NICU to prepare him for flight for life. And the only thing I knew to do in that moment was to literally cast my entire body over my son and his bed, laying on him as much as I could without crushing him, crying out to God. I don't even, to be honest, remember what exactly I prayed, but I knew in that moment I was crying to the only one that I knew I could, our living hope. As the tears of my own face began to cover my son's body. Now, it was significant because this moment was revealing something to me about the character and nature of God in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, that the enemy loves to try to remove, that the enemy loves to try to make us forget, but is so significant. There's a scripture that many of us have heard and read so many times. But it's Psalm 91, 1 through 4, that says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Those words like pinions and buckler do not compute well to our modern language, but I can tell you in that moment, God was revealing this is exactly what it looks like. See, as, as a father, I was operating from the heart of the fathers. I covered my son with my body and my tears. And in our trials, in our suffering, this is exactly what I believe God does for us. He covers us. I believe it's also why when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me, Abba? 
because he knew exactly what that covering should feel like. Whatever your trial, whatever grief you have, know that your living hope is near to you, covering you. Soon after this, they tell me, all right, we need to get your son upstairs. We need to get him to a more stable facility. We're still working on your wife. He's going to go up a few floors to the NICU. Where do you want to be? Now, at this point, I hadn't even considered the thought that physically I couldn't be in two locations at once. And I wasn't sure what to do. On one hand, I have a wife who's still unconscious, that they're still trying to figure out how to stop the bleeding. And on the other hand, I've got a son that is so frail that they're telling me, we, we don't think he's going to make it very long, but we're going to do what we can. I was torn between two loves. And the rationale in my mind at the time was, well, I know that Susanna knows Jesus as her living hope. So if she wakes up from this and she doesn't see a familiar face, she'll at least know Jesus. Now, I don't know what a newborn thinks, but I, I imagine that if he woke up and he saw the chaos happening around him, he'd be terrified. So I said, I'm going to trust Susanna to you, Lord, and I'm going to go with Hunter. I'm going to continue to pray for him and intercede for him and stand in the gap. Now, as they begin to prepare him for Flight for Life, I, I don't know why that day, but there was a delay in the Flight for Life team as they transport him from one hospital in downtown Louisville to Children's Hospital a few miles away. But the delay was long enough that they were able to stabilize Susanna and help her to wake up just enough that they wanted to wheel her bedside next to her son to be able to see him for the first time. Now, dads, you know what this look looks like on your wife's face. Moms, you know what this feels like better than I do. But when they wheeled Susanna side by side to her son, there was a look of pure joy as she laid eyes on Hunter for the first time. I really don't believe in that moment she saw brokenness, that she saw death, she saw her son, and was absolutely in love with him. But as we're surrounded in this tiny room by the medical team that is so diligently caring for us, out of the corner we begin to hear uncontrollable sobbing and weeping. And it was our OBGYN, Dr. Brown. And he begins to say, This is my fault. I did this. Now, I could tell you that the Sunday school answer is that Jesus was the reason for this next moment, and that's true, but practically it still makes no earthly sense to me. My wife, who is completely groggy and barely able to focus, becomes crystal clear and laser focused as she turns her gaze from Hunter over to Dr. Brown, and she reaches out to him and says, this is not your fault. You are a good doctor. See, as much as we'd like to admit it, whenever trials come, it's easy to point the blame on somebody or something else. I know from this and from talking to people in similar situations, it is far too easy to blame the medical professionals, which I would guess is why he felt this was his fault. 
because he'd probably been blamed before. But the thing about a grateful heart is that a grateful heart doesn't look for somebody to blame. A grateful heart looks to express the living hope inside of them, whether it comes naturally or is in this moment the power of the Holy Spirit working through my wife. They eventually transferred my son, and, and in the first few hours and days after this, death was a constant companion in our room. The transfer was supposed to kill our son. The settling into the NICU at Children's was supposed to kill him. Everything was supposed to kill him. And, and I want you to hear this. They were not being mean-spirited. It was just medically speaking, it was the right thing to say. They had no hope to give us. Physically and spiritually, I was drained. I had a, a wife at one hospital, a son 15 minutes away, and a daughter and a son at our home another 15 minutes away. And I did these endless loops all day trying to touch all of them somehow, trying to be a husband, trying to be a father. And I remember driving in the car, utterly speechless, thinking, God, I don't even have the energy to open my mouth to pray but you know everything I would if I could. Would you just do it? Now, as I said, they started to cool our son right from the beginning. And the time came where they said, we have to warm your son back up if, if he has any hope whatsoever. But again, this is going to kill him. And we need you to know this time that it's really going to kill him. There's never been a case of a child in his condition with the traumatic events that have happened where when we've warmed the child, that child has survived. So they gave us a few options of what this could look like. And my wife and I decided, you know what, if our son is going to pass, if that is what the Lord has decided should happen, then we're going to hold him so he at least passes in our arms. If you could bring up the next picture, please. This photo is the moment that they placed our son in our arms as they begin to warm his body and we begin to prepare for the passing of our son's life, glancing over at the, the monitors, waiting for the sounds that we knew would come. Minutes turned into an hour, an hour turned into two, and at two and a half hours, our arms were asleep from holding our son and he was supposed to be dead within the first 20, 30 minutes max of this procedure. We're so tired that we asked the nurse, can we put our son back in the bed? And so she helped us move, and time passes, and the next morning we're, we're all back there together as a family. And our nurse comes in again, and, and we say, listen, we, we don't understand. We, we thought he was supposed to die. Like, you made it pretty clear this was the only outcome. And she said, I'm going to tell you right now, the, the doctors are in the room and they're trying to figure out what to even tell you because they don't know why he's alive. Again, our living hope was at work in the life of a fragile body. So there were a couple of things that we began to focus on and, and one of them, as you might imagine, was prayer. If you could bring up the next photo, please. Prayer became such a common thing for our family and our friends. We had many people at this point that would visit from our church and our community, even people from Calvary, actually, who, as they were passing through Louisville, would stop by our hospital room. Prayer was such a common theme within Hunter's room that the nurses took some medical tape and made this little hat form that says, pray for Hunter. 
That way, when we post another picture of him on social media, people would be reminded too, hey, pray for Hunter. It's what the Bryans do. With prayer too, we also begin to realize the power of God's word. See, sometimes people say, you know, when somebody's hurting or they're going through something, I don't know what to say to them. That's okay. There's 66 books that you can read to them. It's called the Bible. And it's a living word. So if you could bring up the next photo, um, as we continue to have people pray for us, one of the things that we saw in God's word was James 5.14 that says, if any one of you is sick, call the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil and pray. And we said, haven't really done any anointing with oil, but yeah, let's call them. Let's have them come in. So this is a picture of our pastor and elders at our church in Louisville coming in. And the older gentleman in the striped polo was a man named Walt. And Walt came in with a little medicine bottle, prescription medicine bottle, filled with olive oil because he said the actual bottle of olive oil was too big to fit in his pocket. But he took that out, and he dipped a finger in it, and he said, this is what the word says, so this is what we're going to do. And he put it on our son's forehead as the elders of our church began to pray. Now, something else happened during this time that is very significant, and I wouldn't bring glory to the Lord if I left it out. Very often, I, I don't know what to pray. And I find myself saying, Lord, if it's your will, or what is your will, because I have no idea. Sometimes we can know because it says clearly in his text how we ought to pray, but many times it's not that clear. And I remember sitting by my son's bedside one evening, and our son had not made any movement, not even involuntary movement up to this point. Uh, in fact, um, a picture that I not have up there is that he, if you're familiar with Star Wars, actually looked like Jabba the Hutt because of swelling in his body. And he would just lay there motionless. And I remember praying a prayer like that. God, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to pray. What is your will? What are you doing? And I sensed in my spirit, God say, your son will live. That was it. And I was a good Bible-believing Christian. I said, I don't believe you. Prove it. And that moment, as my hand laid next to my son, he grabbed my finger and moved for the first time. See, it changed our prayers and it changed the way we acted because we went from a, we don't know what your will is, to a convictional, this is how we act and pray now. God has spoken life, and so life is what we will believe for. And there was a scripture, actually a passage, that God laid on our hearts during this time that became very significant. And it's Psalm 27. I want to read it for you today. And as I read it, you, you may begin to understand why the Lord laid it in our hearts. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat on my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. 
And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. A second time, wait for the Lord. Death would have been an easy option for our son. But this scripture was one more evidence to us that Hunter was meant to look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living here, physically living, to point many to Christ. It wasn't easy, which is why the text twice says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. You can bring up the next photo, please. One of the things that we begin to do is we would read Psalm 27 and the word of God over our son regularly, day by night, day after day. People would send notes and cards of encouragement, and they'd have scriptures written on them. And, and this is actually a picture of my wife, Susanna, spending some time with her, as we would do, reading the Bible to him and reading notes of encouragement and the scriptures that people had sent. Because we understood that if our son was to live as, as God has spoken, we had to cover him and fill him with the word of life itself. So we began to do that. And we began to see slight improvements where our son went from seeing just about every specialty possible, including specialists uh, from the capital coming in to monitor him to a neurologist and a pulmonologist and a couple of other people as the word of life began to take root in his body. Fast forward, our waiting turned into weeks, which turned into months, and the waiting was long. It was a strain on our family. We, we would go from early in the morning to late at night up at the hospital our children were in tow, Gabrielle and Matthew, and the, the hospital became a very familiar environment for them. And, and because we believe so much in the power of prayer and reading the word over our son, my wife and I were almost always sleeping bedside, which meant for months as a husband and wife, we did not spend most nights together. But a day come, came where the medical team said, we can send your, home, your son home if you're ready for him. But we need to have one more conversation with you before we do that. And they said, we need you to understand that statistically speaking, if you choose to bring your son home, your marriage will fail. Statistically speaking, if you bring your son home, your children will resent you because they will see Hunter is more important than them. Statistically speaking, your life will change and you will spend the rest of it as long as your son is alive 
feeling more like a single parent than a family because you will never be able to transport him well. You will go to a school play while your spouse stays home with Hunter. One of you will go on a mini vacation while the other one stays home with Hunter. And again, I want us to pause here and remember the medical community around us had given great care to us. They were not being mean-spirited. But when you do not have a living hope and statistics show that these things are true, this is what you communicate. But we had a living hope. And we believed that God had something better. And we began to believe as well in our spirit that the greatest glory to God would be when we lived our life to the fullest, as normal as we had before, regardless of what might change with Hunter's life. So, we took our son home. And if you could bring up the next photo, this is the day we brought Hunter home. Still quite small, even though at this point he's about six and a half months old. It was a scary, scary journey uh, as we had nurses in our home. Uh, I'm a pretty paranoid uh, person as is, as far as hearing every little sound. And now there's a stranger in my living room with our son. Life changed. But gratefulness to the Lord for the life that he had entrusted to us dictated that we rolled with the punches. Now, all of us, I think, understand this to some degree. Parents, you understand this a little bit differently, that the reality of life and death, we hold at a very uncomfortable distance. We know that death comes from, for all of us, parents and, and loved ones, but we don't really like to think about it. And it's especially true for parents when we talk about our children. And Hunter, for us, is a daily reminder, as if Hunter could speak almost like he's saying, Mom, Dad, I want to remind you guys that while God has given me life, my tomorrow is not guaranteed. See, we're part of a community now of people that have children very similar to Hunter, and it's become the norm that they take their child on a vacation, and a week later their child passes, that everything was normal until it wasn't. My wife and I have had our son code, which means his heart is completely stopped on the side of a road in his bed, while out doing things that families do, because that is the reality of our son and the reality that our other two have come to learn to live with. But again, it's produced a gratefulness inside of us when we see the frailty of life that is here today and gone tomorrow to think differently about the way we live today. A daughter now who gives such care to some that are often so overlooked because she knows what it's like for her brother. A son who prays more, bold, more boldly than I do sometimes because he was grown up in the fires of prayer. That's something as a parent I can be grateful for. So they said our marriage would be stretched. So we grew by God's grace. They said our children would resent you and they would question everything. So they have, but they know God better. They said life would be different. Your ministry would probably cease, but we do it anyways, regardless of the cost. I could go on with the ways that gratefulness has shown up in, in our lives. 2017, we were very content, had just bought our first home in Louisville, and it was a dream home that a family from church sold us heavily discounted for our family. And God begins to nudge us 
Would you consider being the senior high pastor at Calvary? Our living hope asked us to do something, so our answer was yes. We moved here, and it would be easy to use our son as an excuse to say, listen, we we can't get out, we can't do this and that, it's too hard. But our living hope has reminded us often, I'm covering you, you can get out. In fact, just a couple months ago, some friends of ours invited us to their home in East Troy that had multiple flights of stairs to get up. It would have been very easy to say, we cannot carry this little boy in his stroller up those stairs. But instead, gratefulness dictated that that man and I carried this little child in his stroller all the way up those stairs because fellowship and laughter around a meal was more important. You remember back in verse 7 of 1 Peter, it says, So the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I get asked that question often. How do you love a God who you do not see? And my response has been, ask him to move in your life. See, there is no scripture that I can quote to somebody enough to help them believe in and love an unseen God. But what I can promise people is if you let Jesus into your life, no matter how small or large the trial is, you are going to find a God that is better than life. A living hope that is covering you in your darkness and trials, who has said he will never leave you or forsake you, and means it. the bottom of your insert, you'll see that it says, the trials of your life may feel crushing, but can be used by God to lift you up and point you to Jesus and his care. Note that it says may feel. See, when we go through trials, the enemy wants us to believe you are crushed, but there's a difference between being crushed and feeling crushed. And if we allow God in, God is the restorer of all things. Jesus says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have what? Life. Abundantly. All that the enemy has stolen and killed and destroyed, remember that our living hope wants to restore life abundantly. Hebrews 12. So what do we do then? Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a living hope, that we have you to thank and to glorify God because of the work that you've done and the salvation that you've offered our souls. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand and hear God's word for you. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Before you head out, Candy, can you put the picture of the family up there? And before you head out, I'm going to ask the elders to come up. I'm going to ask them to pray over this amazing family that live out the absolute truth that what happens to us is far less important than how we handle what happens to us. Amen. Amen. This picture is taken. Rob, talk a little bit about that picture. Yes. So, um, am I on? Yeah. Okay, so this picture was taken this past summer. Um, one of the things that, of course, we were told we couldn't do is travel. And we had not seen Susanna's family in Arkansas since before Hunter was born, so we decided we were going to make the 12-hour trip as a family and get this picture that, if I could find one picture that embodies the way that we thrive because of our living hope, it would be this one. Amen. Pat. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we've had to hear what our brother has shared with us about his precious family and what you've done. Lord, don't let our hearts not be moved. Help us to remember the passages that we've been shared with. Help us, Lord, to hide your word into our hearts so that we might not sin against you. And I pray for this precious family that you continue to encourage them and use them as a powerful witness and testimony for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Be with Hunter, guard him, watch over him, Father, and give Susanna and Rob the strength they need each day. For their precious children, Father, we just pray for encouragement and use them as well as a witness and testimony for you. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. In your precious name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, Mike is headed to the back for Global Fingerprints. The family will be up here. If you want to talk to them, lay a hand on them, pray for them, that would be great. And so God bless you as you go for a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless.